What is up, everybody? On this episode, a very special episode of the Boston Ski Party, the crew traveled up to Burlington, Vermont to interview the one and only Jason Leventhal. We did the interview at his new J-Ski's Intergalactic Headquarters, which is absolutely sick. Now, for most listeners, this man needs no introduction. I mean, he only started line skis, built some of the first twin tip skis, introduced full tilt boots to the world, and has spent the last decade absolutely crushing it with his current brand, J-Skis. We run it back with Jay to his years at Line, some of the groundbreaking products he came up with, and his strategy in creating a super team of local relatable skiers to build a brand identity around. And of course, ultimately having to sell to K2 Sports, where he'd also be tasked with starting full tilt boots and building a boot brand that complemented what he'd been doing at Line. We rounded off by discussing some of the stuff that he's got going on right now with the J-Skis brand and his new insane space right on Main Street in Burlington, Vermont. Super dope episode with the dude who's responsible for so much of what the sport of skiing is today. Enjoy the show. Holler. Is what it is, man. Is what it is, man. It is what it is, man. It is what it is, man. It's cheap too. Pluskymaster.com. So your sales were at least the stable. No, our sales went up like fifty percent. Yeah, because you did appointments. Yeah, and yeah. our average, the average, average, ticket average ticket is insane. Average ticket's still going up. Yeah. So then, when we had the second capacity rollback in December of twenty when we could only have be at like 25% capacity, that's when we learned when we have 24 or less customers in the store, we sell a ton of clothing because that's like the most relatable thing when you walk into a store. So when the store was busy, people just stand in front of clothing racks. And if you were really into that jacket, but someone's standing in front of the rack, you're not going to go try it on. You're going to be like, ah, it's not the time. They're too busy. Yeah. Yeah. So we would give ourselves all these false pats in the back, like, oh, dude, we're freaking we're slammed. slammed. We're this is awesome. <laughs> we're killing it. But the dollars didn't line up. No and no yeah. one, people were leaving angry because they weren't getting helped. Yeah. And we just thought, oh, this is so cool. We're so busy. And then but we got, we, we're not like you. We don't have a bar. We don't sell drinks. <laughs> yeah. You know, or so, you wouldn't want one if you're that busy. Right. Or maybe right. you would if by appointment they can have a beer while they're waiting. They and used then, to. And then, and then God they forbid, if there's a Bruins game or well, a Celtics we, game, and then you have those people that are just walking around on top of the people that actually want to uh, buy something. And two you're blocks like, in the garden. So Where why wouldn't you? Why, why yeah. wouldn't you open a second location at that point? Well, if we open a second location, it would be in another city. city. Like we do that in New York. Is there any San way Francisco? to expand your hours? To just late night even? Yeah. Well, we, we do. Yeah. And we even take... What are your hours? So most appointments are between 10 and 7.30. But like we take appointments at 7 a.m. if someone wants to do that. Hey, why wouldn't you be open till 10 at night? People are busy at work till 7. Yeah. If, if someone wants to come in, yeah, absolutely. And the system you have for making appointments, like what do you have to do that? We I'll use, go through Square appointments. Square? square? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're using, right? Well, that's what we're using for our bar, but not... We use Shopify for our... Oh, right. So you're using... Square works really well. Or no, we don't use Square. We use Toast. Got it. For food and drink. Yeah. That's mind-blowing, the way you've set up this shop. That's, like, really impressive. No one else has the guts to do something We didn't like set out to set it up that no, way. No, but, but, but it, how it kind of... It evolved. transformed and evolved into that. Yeah, you know? where the thing... The fact is, like, when you're put into a pinch or your back's against the wall, or your resources are constrained, that's when you come up with a better 
system or ideas for doing things because anyone can just sit at a table and be like, I've got an idea of how to do this. I guarantee it will be the most time-consuming version, the most expensive version, the <laughs> yeah, most inefficient exactly. version. It's so true. But when you've got like, I've got three hours and I've got to do X, Y, and Z and I have no money is when you come up with yeah. like the best scenario Th- that's situation. pretty that's where george and i live we live on that yeah on that line. You, you gotta <laughs> you, you gotta say because it involves saying no to so many traditional ways of, of operating yeah and once you say no to things that just aren't as efficient or aren't as cost effective it forces you to say yes to ones that are and those things are ideas that like you have you're forced to have to right. come up with yeah the fact yeah. that you guys all day long are getting appointments i mean that's like it's unfathomable that like a person can just can't just walk into your store and yeah. start buying shit. You have to make an appointment. That's insane. And again, yeah. when we when we opened TSM Boston in fourteen, you know, we never would ever imagine be like, you can't come in here unless you have an appointment. Like that sounds that, crazy, that, right? It's the craziest. And then thing now I've ever heard. thinking back on it, and then seeing how Ski Monster Boston has changed, and it's like to open the door to everyone <laughs> without appointments. Seems that crazy. seems crazier. Yeah, that actually seems crazy. Yeah. No, it's just a better experience. And if they yeah. don't want to make an appointment then they probably don't value the experience and they can go other places. 100%. Like, 100%. And that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you started Lion Skis, you know, I've heard you say many times because like if you could have bought that ski, you probably would have just done right. that. I mean, George and I, similar kind of art career path arc is like, if we could have experienced a ski retail experience like Ski Monster, maybe we don't even start Ski Monster. You know right. what I mean? Like we were searching for that. It's your own necessity. We were searching for like a space that looks like Ski Monster, like the feel, the vibe, like the right. swag of the store. Like if we went somewhere and did that, we're like, oh, this is, I'll just, maybe I'll just work here. We don't <laughs> exactly. need to start a new company. Like <laughs> yeah. they already did it, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of a similar thing. And it's like, it's kind of funny because if, if you could just buy something, right. then you wouldn't have innovated. And that's how we felt about, about TSM. Yeah, that's cool. Congrats on that, guys. And, you know, this space that you have here, there's not many uh, retail spaces that we get excited about, you know, in the ski industry, especially. Yeah. Like, it's a very short list of stores, and this is on that short list. This is, like, this is very inspiring. Cool. You did a great job. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Like, every corner is awesome. It it wasn't, my mission wasn't to create another ski shop. No one needs another ski shop, you know. It's just simply to uh, give our customers experience mm-hmm. simply simple as that like you don't have to come here and buy anything like i have no expectation to sell anything i just want people to be able to talk with us directly face to face get a deeper story about our product and and also really the 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 lounge space here is just to give back to the community you right. know give them a place that a kid can come after middle school or high school and hang out with their friends they could they could you know cast from their phone their their latest edit up to, on our big sick you know that's have, pretty sweet you know have a hot chocolate soda hot dog you know chicken fingers whatever yeah. popcorn mm-hmm. chill on the couch listen to good music you know play like, video games play video games <laughs> play ski guitar and it's like their place like i used to go into skate shops as a kid back in you know in the 90s and it was always a couch and a tv yeah and you'd watch videos and you pick up stickers for a dollar yeah and that's what we got you know what i mean and that's what i want to have and it's i want it to be you know the feel like you're at the mountain, like the base lodge is why we got this like 300, literally 300 year old barn board here. So like, I just so wanted sweet. it to feel like when you walk out, you're like, Oh shit, I forgot I was in Burlington. You know? Yeah. So I, I just forgot I was, I was in Burlington. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just happened. Yeah. So we, we, I mean like I've been taking photos of ski lodges for a long time. And like these lights are same as they have at Killington at, um, at Sugarbush. 
uh, a bunch of that Stowe Base Lodge. These like round. Oh yeah, they're like very seventies. You don't realize it, but that's what they are from. Yeah, and just yeah. everything about you know we, we everything's barn board. It's all authentic. It looks like you know you just walked into a you know place that was made a hundred years ago, based in the mountains. So yeah, it's it's kind of comfortable skiers for skiers anyway. Like yeah. it's not fancy, but it still took a lot of work and. Um, yeah, I mean, skiers, if you think about it, like we hang out in muddy, muddy gravel parking lots after skiing and right, right. Cra crack a can, cook hot dogs, like, yeah. you know, tailgating. And that's like, that's what this is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we sell everything in a can. Even if you bought wine, juice, whatever, it all comes in a can like you're out tailgating. And uh, yeah, it's just that whole vibe. It, it, it totally a vibe. <laughs> and uh, what I will say, though, I mean, before we move on past the appointment, only thing, just because I'm thinking about it because we were just talking about it. If you were to say open yourself up, uh, you would be fucking shocked, dude. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 like from someone who's mounted a, like a, probably a, over a hundred pairs of your skis in yeah. our retail location in Boston, if Jay Lev was available for booking to buy a ski, <laughs> dude, you wouldn't be able to to, to shut would, off the people. You'd, you'd be booked out for a year. You, you, yeah. you would sell you would sell a ski every thirty minutes for fucking three months. I swear to God. Yeah. You would be shocked, bro. Like everyone would book you. Do you think we're joking? I, it's if, great. If I can do it, like if me, I don't know how to build skis. I just like you know, George and I just somehow came up with Ski Monster. I still don't even know how. And like if I can do eight skis a day in Boston yeah. as a nobody, you you would be slaying them up here, dude. Yeah, I'd lose my, I'd lose my mind too. <laughs> no, you would. But you would. I like, like low and ski it too. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's an idea, man. Well, I'll consider it for I, sure. I, I, one day a week, I guarantee if you're like, hey, I, Jay, Jay's open this day. 25 from 8 pairs of skis. To 8, 23 and a half hours God. today. I'm going nonstop. <laughs> Every half you hour, get your ass in here. You would. Yeah. Yeah. People would yeah. want you to sign them. And it would yeah. be a whole thing. It would well, be I mean, I'm kind of here anyway, but yeah, I hear you, man. It's cool. Good. That's a good business suggestion. I'll have to <laughs> duplicate, true. clone myself a few times. It'll be all good. Oh, man. Dude, so thanks for doing this. This yeah. is awesome. Um, I just want to, I want to bring up a story because like the first time that I met you, I was really nervous and it was at, it was at a powder week one year. I know you probably don't even remember this, but I, when I, when I was like, I got to tell Jay this story because i made a fool of myself really. So I, I, I met you and Francois yeah. and we were skiing that, that one day, I think we we're, you, I think you brought, we were talking about this at really big, at big sky. At yeah, big sky. Yeah, I think, I think you brought awesome. prototypes. Yeah, and Berkowitz was giving you shit for bringing prototypes. Yeah, you're bringing to a prototypes ski to a ski test. What is that? I'm never ready. <laughs> yeah, no ski Dude. is ever done. That's the point. It's always improving. <laughs> but it was also Forever. amazing that you won a bunch of awards on, a on prototype ski. Yeah, I think it was the year you came out the the Dude. wider friend. I think right? it was the best one we created as of that day. It That's how insane. it was. Yeah. Like, yeah, we were, even when we're in production, we're like, let's try a little bit more of this. And I remember more. talking to you on the chairlift, and you were literally like, I'm like, because you know they're the prototype graphics. If anyone. Yeah listening prototype graphics are literally you can just kind of see the guts of the ski clear or they're just sheet. all yeah. they're either clear or they're black or whatever and you remember you were describing to me like you know what's in the ski you know what you wanted to do and then it's not going to look like this but like we're you know we're, we're working on it yeah. of course i didn't know i didn't really care i was like oh this is cool i'm just at powder week skiing with you know jay skis guys and whoever <laughs> else that day but anyways back to why i want to tell you the story so we we were skiing some like tree run and we got split and I went left and you guys went right. And I got like somehow like got myself into trouble. I'm always in trouble with Big Sky somehow. And yes. I, I, I got myself in trouble and I got like cliffed out of this area where I had to like take oh, my skis shit. off, walk fucking down to the cat <laughs> track. And like, and then you guys were waiting for me at Lilith for like 45 minutes. And oh, I was cool. like, and by the time I got back, I'm like, 
I just I, I I ruined like I I mean I made it absolutely dude I get myself. every mountain we go to like out west I get screwed man like screwed exactly because I'm an ice coaster <laughs> yeah. I think you can just ski anywhere and they put a little orange pole yeah, with an cliff. orange circle it says cliff it could be four feet it could be forty feet right? oh you totally have no dude. idea and I'm always yeah. backtracking out of shit yeah for sure so yeah yeah I, I did that most of the time that week. So I'm glad you don't remember because I was super embarrassed. No, like, oh, all good, man. Well, 45 minutes. We were wait. probably like, thank God, because my thighs were killing me. <laughs> yeah. After days, I would be sneaking out of there at like three o'clock, be like, does anyone notice I'm leaving? Or I'd just dude, be straight lining because those my thighs those days were so at the end, burning, man. I'd like, just be like, dude, they're long days. Turns. They're really long days. Yeah. There really was also days. years that like manufacturers would show up and it would be like their fourth or fifth day skiing. And you're like, yeah, we're going to go just rip hot laps at big sky yeah one, one of shocking. your years too actually you guys were so slammed in the store you guys were both like dude it was year three. one or two at big sky that was like day two or three i think for the season big sky is so chalky man it's mm -hmm. people out west love it but as an ice coaster i'm just like i want to go out west and have soft snow. yes yeah <laughs> and it's there dude there's way too many rocks yeah uh, yeah destroy there, there are there are a ton of rocks <laughs> yeah. a ton of rocks so before we kind of get into to J skis and what you what you're kind of doing today, which is obviously really rad, um, everyone's coming out with like with new shapes, new designs all the time. Yourself too, like we just talked about. Always, you're never you're never done. Always <laughs> prototyping, right? So like when when I, I was like, yo, we're gonna interview Jay. This could be sweet. I, I want to ask you about a little bit about about line, especially one series of ski in particular, because I've always been curious about this. So like the line profit series skis, yeah. right? Like. I think for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, and you guys can jump into, like that ski kind of changed the way that all skis now are made, in my opinion. Because at the time, it was like a really weird time for skiing, and then the Profit Series kind of happened, and it was like my early introduction into the ski business as well. But like having a, like a series or a family of skis that was wider with like kind of like a playful tip and tail that was twin-tipped, and then all of a sudden you know, that ski started to trickle into every other manufacturer's yeah, kind of mindset. And like, so what was, when, when you guys did that, right? Like, like, what were you, were you just, again, building something that, that didn't exist? Or were you literally like, this is going to change the way people are going to make skis? I didn't, I never think of what everything else might come from it of other people. I, don't, I just think of what I want to get out of skiing. And Francois, it was really his brainchild because he came from racing in Quebec. He was like a legendary racer up there. Never went Olympics or anything, but he's a badass. And he engineered our skis and he was saying, you know, we made all these twin tips. We need a ski that appeals to himself. Like someone like him with a good, knows how to ski like carving and racing and any of that background. But the skis at the time in that category, which now are called all mountain or free ride, were very, very stiff and not playful very heavy um not very nimble at all you know and so he saw an opportunity to kind of blend what we had been doing in our freestyle side with an all mountain side so the simple formula there was use metal but make it use thin metal and make it narrow so it was the only ski that had metal that didn't go edge to edge tip right. to tail okay. so that reduced weight but it it dramatically improved dampness from not using metal at all so yeah. from our other skis, suddenly it was like, wow, this ski's damp, but it's light and it's snappy. It's playful. We made the flex instead of a rock, 
because no one needs to go 80 miles an hour down a GS course on these things. And that's where it really, yeah. that's where they evolve from. Right. Like every European brand, uh, and there's still some of that DNA today comes from the heritage of skiing, which was racing. And like, you know, when you're, when you're a desk jockey, you know, you're sitting at a desk all day and one day a week or one day a month you go right. skiing, you don't got the legs to handle it. Most of our calls today are saying, I, most of our customers come in to us now saying, hey, my legs are tired. It's hard to move these skis. What do you got that's easier? Right. And that's where our whole brand, my brand from day one is make skiing more fun for more people, yep. even with the line days. That's all I want to do. And more fun is also means more easier and it doesn't wear you out. It doesn't tire out. It's easier mm -hmm. to control. So this ski was lighter, more nimble. It had some nice side cut on it, making it quick. It had a little bit of tail that made it cool. Like you could, yeah. could go backwards. It was right. way cooler looking than a square cutoff tail of the competition. And so that launched the profit, which for the first four years, honestly, barely got any attention. And on like the fourth or fifth year, it won and was on the cover of Ski Mag. I remember. And that launched the shit out of that thing. Yeah. And that's what always happens is your first, by the time you hear of a new brand or a new product, you're like, do you hear about that new thing? It's like, you're like, no, what is it? And then you find out they've been around 10 years. Right. You know, it takes 10 years to... to Become famous overnight. To, they think you're famous <laughs> overnight, but yeah, it took... 10 years to take... Everything takes overnight. 10 years, minimum. <laughs> and, and for a ski model, it took four or five years. And yeah. we were like, this thing isn't working on almost. You know, mm -hmm. we had a cult following. But after that ski mag said, yo, this is a good ski. And other people got on it and they got off of their other skis that were heavy and tiring and whatnot. That, that, that opened a door for all the other brands to understand a way that they could be quote unquote cool and appealing to a younger yep. or free ride freestyle, not race background market in America. Yep. Well, really America. That's yeah. where the opportunity was, not Europe. They didn't, they didn't need that. But as skiing was evolving at that point, like people wanted something fresh and they wanted, they wanted a bit of that flavor they were seeing in freestyle, but they weren't hitting rails. They weren't skiing backwards. Right. And that's where it came. And then you saw tons of other models and that only helped us yeah. because when I made my first ski board, no one gave a shit. I didn't sell any until Solomon, Solomon. started making them. You know, when mm. you make a snowboard, it's like you need other brands to be making it to give it legitimacy. And that's true of anything you do. You yeah. Know? So. Well, I, 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 that's, that's awesome, man. It's a, because I remember being on the, on the sales floor and fr from, from someone that was selling stuff like face to face to the consumer at the time, like it was one of the cool things about the profit and the series of the profit was that like, you got to sell like a romantic idea about what you could be on the mountain to some guy. Yeah. It was really cool because everything else would look so similar. And it was like, oh, I make short radius turns. Like I'm at, but, but you, you grab the profit nine or whatever it was. And like, you can do this. Well, they also, a more traditional skier felt like they were on the cool ski, a freestyle ski right. that wasn't actually freestyle. Yeah. It was disguised to be look cool, but it actually had the DNA of a race ski. It was like in terms of the side cut, like not mm -hmm. in the difficulty of use, but the fact that it carved a turn like a bat out of hell. Right. You laid it over and it hooked a turn. We ran that side cut all the way to the tip, but we also put a cool round of tail. We put a dope graphic on it. We made it yeah. lighter, snappier, poppier, and you could take that and land in backwards if you wanted to, you know? So yeah. it really bridged the gap between those two. And that profit series, we also, as a small brand, we didn't want to have to market every ski individually. So we called it like 90, 99, 100, 100 whatever. Right. You know, it's like that yeah. whole thing. Do, was do people still easier. do that now? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> 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 does that. I went away from that because I got bit. bored with it. But yeah. 
And one other cool thing too that that is so it's so silly now because like everyone does something similar. But like that was one of the first times where it was like I remember we would call it die cut metal laminate, right? It was die cut metal laminate, and you could see it in the graphic because it wasn't in the tip to tip. It wasn't you know edge to edge, edge to edge. I'm sorry, and right? You could, so you could see it, and it was like a right. really cool selling feature. For somebody that was just a ski shop kid on the sales floor. Way more tangible. Talking to some guy, like, look, like, it's lighter. This is because yeah. of this. It can do this good and this really good, too, because of this. And they're like, wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, the window and, and, through the graph. Right. And yeah. now that's such a common thing, which yeah. is why I always go back to that series. Is like, man, like, it really opened a lot of different avenues for people to you know, connect with the consumer and what their, maybe their best day ever could be like, cool. which is pretty rad. No, we have some fans that still come back and say, yo, Hey, I have the profit. What do you got now? Yeah. That's yeah. sick. Yeah. And I think you almost, not almost, you did, you know, you started that with Lime, but I feel like now with Jay, it's, it's opened to such a huge audience that like, you know, there was a time at Line where you're like, anybody who bought Line is like a park skier. Exactly. You know, and 100%. now with, with Jay, it's what's awesome is to see people in line that are 50, 60, 70 years old that might have grown up skiing, you know, a race ski, like you said, and now they're on a master blaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? we sell we sell all ages, and that's what's cool is, like, people think that we only sell to park kids just because we have cool graphics. Right. But yeah. we don't. We sell we sell to people that can't even use the internet. They call us on the phone. <laughs> they order through the phone. Like they're yeah. retired. Like straight up retired. They're yeah. probably but they're probably booting up, putting their boots on every morning in the yeah. baseline. Way more than all of us. Where everyone else is working and at school. So they're just as badass. They're just as core and dedicated a skier. They're just older and they and they want to represent a cool brand, just like they want to have a, a heady topper or some other like yep. micro brew. We're just the micro brew of skiing, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, I mean, so Matt mentioned it because like, you know line it felt like you know freestyle so you're not just selling to that yeah. but at the time it was kind of marketed that way and what was cool i guess um and you guys feel free to jump in but at the time of that was that like 2008 to 2014 ish you know like line was obviously top of freestyle skiing if that's what people thought of but like your team at the time was really cool because it wasn't like it, they felt like regular dudes that were promoting the brand, right? Yeah. And they were promoting it. Skiing is fun. Skiing is awesome. Look, we're skiing like in middle of Pennsylvania. We're skiing in the UP. And yeah. like that was so different than other freestyle yeah. brands at the time promoting these guys that can like go off a hundred foot jump. Yeah. And it, not that you couldn't do that on a line, but as a person that can't go off a hundred foot jump, like I connected way more with that team, the line team, because it felt more like what the skiing that we were all doing. Yeah, was that just, was that by design or is it just kind of work out that way? No, 100%. I mean, it's kind of like we were talking about this shop. Like, it was kind of out of necessity and by design. So, yeah. like, one, you got to be different than every other brand. Like, I've said it before, no one needs more of the same thing, period. If you're trying to give them the same thing, you're not going to stand out. You're not going to give them a reason to come to you instead of someone else, right? And so, and also, we were limited in our resources. So, we decided the only way that we could make this happen was we can't sponsor only X games and Olympic type level skiers right. because you'll never win that game. Every other brand will always, and this is true of any industry. They, if you try to play on their playing field, you're going to have to be at such a expensive level. Yeah. Right. And now you're spending 50 to hundred grand per athlete. And next week that athlete can get hurt and you're just still spending that money. You can't afford that when you're a tiny brand, right? So then we also said, how can we stand out from the rest? So what we do is set, play on our own playing field. We basically established a different playing field and that was local heroes. So 
we would flow product to the local heroes and sometimes they become nationally recognized because they at the time youtube was just starting to take off social media was barely starting to take off and we realized we don't need tgr to tell someone we exist or right. showcase our athletes we don't yeah. need powder magazine to showcase our athletes or what our brand is about we could do it ourselves so that's why Lions still today has such a strong youtube following because when will and andy were going to college here in burlington we were they were like making videos i was like yo can we put that on youtube and we started promoting it and it was very early on for line so our team per se was basically a bunch of local heroes that you could relate to right because they were skiing the same mountains as you they were riding the same terrain as you right and they were still inspiring as hell because they're way better than anyone else you know mm -hmm. but they didn't have to be this like globally recognized like high profile athlete to have the same influence as one of those people and by digital media still today especially today we for jay if you're right you've got jays on your feet you're on the team yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's so how sick. we roll like yeah. and we believe that we promote our customers and we promote people that are really good super hero local skiers we also flow product to and stuff but we don't put anyone up on a pedestal we're just like we're just a bunch of skiers having fun you know and that goes a long way and no one else the other brands couldn't couldn't follow us because right. they were they were just you knew you know the marketing budgets and how they work they want to show headquarters like we paid for this we got on nbc blah 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 but i know we've had people in the x games it doesn't do shit for yeah. your sales like henrik harlow moves is influential because he's unique and he the way he promotes himself and puts out content it's not because he shows up once a year Right. At the X Games yep. and the other 364 days he's training and can't be found. Like, that's not the athlete. We're not looking for athletes. We want skiers that represent. They're actually out skiing right. every day and creating their own content and doing being creative and inspiring other people, not only to be, you know, to try to go out there and do shit they can't do, but just go skiing, period. Like, yeah. just, hey, I should go try skiing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. every level, we want to be super inclusive, super super inviting and that's why you know we'll post on our social a kid at, at wachusett right barely landing a backflip with his friend in a shaky camera videoing it and we're like high fives like right. that was dope yeah and, yeah and people love that it's awesome because that's it's everybody because it's real man yeah, yeah it's real and, and yeah it, it, and that's why at the time it felt like you can connect with that because it felt way more real yeah and like you know going double cork you know, on a slope style. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm still like, doing that, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've always been about that. And that's how I was. I was never, I was in, you know, first X Games, but not, I, that was like, I was never in it to win it. You know what I mean? In terms of com competition. I was in it to have the most fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then I also, too, like with that, I, I mean, and there was other skis as well, but one that sticks out the most is definitely the Afterbang because the Afterbang, at, at, right around that same time, like that retail was really low. For like what skis were could have been sold for, I think it was like three fifty or something. Three fifty nine. Three fifty nine. Yeah. I can't remember, dude. And then you guys came up with a step up, and that was that was three ninety nine or four forty nine. Still four forty nine. Yeah. That yeah. was with K two, and we were able to do that. That yeah. was the thing. Is yeah. like K two uh, moved our production to Asia, so of course, and their volume in their factory right. was huge. So all of a sudden, you know, in 2006, when K2 acquired Line, they were able to be competitive price-wise because of the volume they had yeah. Yeah. in the and, manufacturing. And, and so that, I mean, that's a really good segue to, you know, starting and running a company exactly how you want to do it. Yeah. And then 
hitting that glass ceiling because we all know, you, you know, you can only, you got to sell a certain amount of skis to be profitable. So you get to that point, 2006, K2 acquires line, yeah. you stay on to run the company. But how, how does that change for you? Yeah, so, well, we were basically about to go out of business anyway. I, that was like my second time going bankrupt. I wasn't a business person. <laughs> I mean, it's skiing. Like, you could only sell to people that live in a couple states out yeah. of 50 of No, them. it's true. You know, yeah. it has to be cold. You have to have a lot of money, and you want to say skiing is way more fun than just sitting playing video games. It's not a lot of people that right. ski. Yeah. yeah. So, and then we're a brand selling to stores. So this is the challenge is when you sell to a store, I don't care what you're selling. You can sell in granola bars. The only way the store is going to put your product on that shelf is if it sells better than the other ones that are already on there. Because they're not going to just add five more feet to their line of skis. Sure, let's add five more skis from you and four more from them. And, right. and that's what I realized is I can't beat Rozzy or K2, or Solomon, or Elon, or any of those brands, I can't give them a better price, better terms. Right. I can't out-market them. I can't, you know, there were people that wanted my skis, but the shop was saying, look, I sell this uh, carving ski way better. I sell every ski on my wall better than for the f what they thought was only a few people wanted Lion at the yeah. time. But there was actually a huge following for Line, but they, they couldn't find it right. in stores. Right. And they yeah. end up being talked into some other brand. I'm not saying that we could have been as big as those big brands, because they definitely can't. Still today, Line, Armada, I know how big they are, and they cannot get that to be yeah. that size. It's just, there's a glass ceiling, but that glass ceiling for us was only like 7,000 pair. Yeah. And it was nothing. And at the time, we were a twin tip brand. Right. You know what I mean? So it made it even harder because people just saw them as almost not regular skis that they most people could ski. So anyway, we were in a super small niche, selling very few skis, making very little money, and and having spending a ton of energy at trade shows and sales meetings and right. sales reps and sales managers trying to just get our damn foot in the door of a shop so a cons consumer can find it, you yeah. know? So we were bankrupt as shit, and K2, we were pitching to everyone and my partner at the time who owned the majority he's he was uh he'd been in the ski business for decades he had car who and track sports and a whole bunch of others merrill he started anyway he's just like we can't do this anymore so <laughs> he ended up we ended up selling to k2 for literally paying off our debt right yeah. so so then when i went to k2 i mean that was a good decision for me to continue working there because i was skeptical and thought man maybe i should just quit do something else and my uncle at the time was like, you know what? Like, what do you got to lose to go work in there? Like, right. you're going to work for a public company. Like, the opportunities to learn yeah. and experience things and work with people that know a totally different level than you is a great opportunity. You should just go for it. Worst case, two years, just say, I'm, I'm over it. So I ended up staying there for, for six years, seven yeah. years, from 2006 to 2013. And, and the craziest part no one knows is I worked from a guest room in my home my house the whole time did you really i never <laughs> lived in seattle really i stayed in burlington vermont because i just loved it here and my kid was just born at the time and i just was like it's not worth it and i said to anthony duraco you know the president at the time I was just like i was like you know what man like you got nothing to lose like i'm not moving here that's a fact i went to seattle me and my wife like ran from there like yeah. it's just a different place it's a yep. rad city but we already had a house it would have been a bitch to get up and change all that 
So we just, and we had family here. We want to raise our kid here. Blah blah blah. So anyway, I just go look. I'm not moving there, but I think I could run this brand from home, mm-hmm. and you got nothing to lose. Like worst case, it doesn't work out. We part ways, and that's how I am with every employee still today. I'm very upfront, honest. Like this is what expectation is. If it doesn't work out, we adjust, or if it really can't make it happen, so be it. Huh. And so I ran it from the guest room of my house. My kid was like a toddler, you know, and he'd like. He'd know he'd never knock on the door nine to five. Yeah. And as soon as that time was up, I'd open the door and I was back in my house. The whole other rest of the time, I was on Skype at the time. That was about all we had. And yeah, I was right. just like, they had engineers, sales manager. I had Josh Malchak. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Cause yeah. Because did he go there? He lived he there, He was right? an intern here when he went to UVM. He yeah. interned for, for me. He was like packing stickers and shit like that. Like whatever we needed right. all the time. <laughs> and then I ended up just somehow convincing them to hire him and as like my it, it, it was like a duplicate it was like it was like me in seattle it's like i will talk through this guy in yeah. seattle you know yeah. so I'd, I'd be like really tight with josh and Brilliant. he would be yep. doing all the shit that i couldn't if i wasn't there yeah but then i i would obviously on email i had to be like super on point and i'd fly out there like once a month for a week to be at meetings and all that bullshit or just go to a trade show yeah you know so that that's how it worked and and i learned so much like i can't be more grateful for the the skills i picked up there just having to make tough decisions and like just learned a ton i couldn't even go into yeah. all, everything i learned and then then at 2013 i realized like hey i learned everything i could i'm never going to make more money working remotely like this and it's like i'm i was turning 40 at the time and i was like i've had so many ideas building up stewing in my head and the internet was on fire for e-com all these other businesses were e-com I was like, I think I could do this direct. And at the time, they literally were like, you're going to fail miserably. Like, everyone was like that. <laughs> there wasn't one person that was yeah. like, that's a great idea. Well, Go sell skis direct. <laughs> Don't sell them through any stores. Just have a website. You'll be fine. Like, everyone was like, you're fucked. Like, I can't believe you're doing that. Are you sure you want to leave? Like, are you crazy? You're old, dude. Like, how are you going to do that? Like, no one has ever bought skis without touching them and coming right. into a shop and yeah, feeling yeah. them like... Dude, they're buying shoes. Like, yeah. They're well, buying a lot more than you think. Old ski industry is so goddamn old school. Right? Yeah, it oh, really yeah. is. And I was gonna, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to legit ask you that. I was like, so when you were at line, you were already having the thoughts of like going direct to consumer. Yeah. And did you pitch it to, to Mature or, or Duraco, whoever you were rolling up it to was, at the time? Yes, or? but they were. In, it was impossible because, and they'll, a lot of these brands still today will tell you they can't. Right. Because yeah. the shop will, quote unquote, drop them or something like that. But the reality is there isn't a product out there other than skiing that customer, every other industry, they buy direct and buy it from a store. And yeah. it's perfectly fine. Burton's been doing it for years as well. Right. But yeah, they were just like, we can't because we'll piss off the retailers. It's not worth it, especially for a tiny little brand. I mean, at, at its high point, line was selling 40,000 skis like that's nothing. You right. know, you're, there's half a million or more skis sold a year in just the U.S. I'm talking globally, 40,000. Right. Like, you know, it's maybe 15,000 in the U.S. We're, so we are yeah. tiny. And but going from a garage at your parents' house it to 40,000 pairs of skis is pretty impressive. Yeah, pretty, it was rad. Right. It was yeah. a wicked ride, man. Like the first sales meeting when I showed up, I'm like a 20, I was, I don't know, 30 or something. But I showed up at that first sales meeting and there were like 40 countries represented there. It's so like, cool. Like people speaking all different languages. Yeah. It was a K2 yeah. sales meeting. I didn't, I was just like, damn, they're like, yeah, they're all selling your skis now. Like literally on Wednesday, no, only I was. And on like Monday, like 40 or 50 countries were selling them. 
It was insane. wicked, man. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. Yeah. And there were decisions. I mean, you'd sit around a business, a meeting room table with 10 plus people for hours trying to cut 75 cents off the cost right. of ski. Yep. It was, I mean, that was something I learned, but I didn't enjoy. But like, it gives you perspective of how challenging the costs of the supply chain is. By the time you all add it, you add it all up, there's very little left for anyone. Right. And they're just trying, they're public freezing company. Right. They yeah. got to make money. Yeah, they're looking at every penny. No matter what, they always had to be more profitable than the year before. Yep. There's only two ways to do that. Sell more or cut your costs. Right. Yeah. And no one sells more skis year over year in skiing. Like they can take a little bit market share from someone right. else, but the overall, it doesn't grow. For- so usually it was high five. We did great last year. Next year, we got to grow 10% in our profit or sales, sales, let's say. So we're going to have to cut some employees, cut some marketing budget, cut this, cut that. And that's how, that was a bitch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not to backtrack, but, and cause I actually don't know this. How did, how did line and working for K2 for you turn into, we want you to launch a boot brand. Yeah. Full tilt. That's actually the, that was like the boot. The first boot we did is like super basic. But so the first day they were on Vashon Island before they moved the factory to, China. I mean, that's mind blowing now to imagine. Yeah. Oh, insane. imagine all K two skis being made on an island in Alpha Seattle. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so sick. It, I mean, it would be awesome if they did that again. Right. To be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. I, financially, they, I, right. If you were a private business, they could at their volume possibly maybe get yeah. enough people. I mean, it worked at some point, but it probably be jacking the price up three hundred. But bucks, but it would right. be a good story. Oh, for it's K two. You know, even if they made like whatever, like two different models there or right. something and it was more money i think a lot of people would buy that it. factory's still there vacant man they it's never crazy. no one's gonna operate a business that gigantic on an island that you have to take a freaking ferry, ferry to, to. Yeah. yeah it's not yeah. it's awesome but part of that taking that ferry i and you could i mean fank who does our graphics now he worked there for over a decade running ride gra- snowboard graphics and whatnot he'll tell you they never operated so well as when they had to take a ferry because everyone spent a half hour together at the beginning of the day and the end of the uh, day. Oh, yeah. Just, just, it's like sitting around a water cooler. Yeah. And that's when all the ideas came and all the yeah. brainstorming unintentionally. And he said that was when, as soon as they moved off the island, they lost that and it, and it was really tough. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, out there, man, uh, they... That that just that just changed the whole thing. When, once we went to that volume, and then they then they went off the island. But for full tilt, getting back to your question, the first day I went there on Vashon, uh, Robert Markovich, the president of K two, and Paul Bennett, who was the engineer, um, they were like, "Hey Jay, you got a few minutes? We want to talk to you." They pull me in their office. This is day one. The first day I ever went to K two. <laughs> Welcome to K two. Yeah, okay. they were so anxious to have this conversation. Okay, I didn't realize till after, and they pulled out the rakely boot and and then they said you know so you know this boot i was like oh hell yeah like i rode that all through high school and yeah. college like that's my favorite boot like okay so we just bought the molds to it from europe like we own the original rakely molds and we have a brand name called full tilt that used to be a wakeboard brand because you know most brands that got bought by k2 went out of business mm. you know because they don't they don't get the love right like yeah if i had just sold line to k2 it would have lasted like two years like right. i was there you got to have someone fueling it in that right in that company right yeah, you're the you're because otherwise you're like brand. you're just like a sidekick and right. they're like k2 rules why do we need this thing this yeah. twin tip we already have our twin tips mm-hmm. after a few years so most brands ended up dying out there 
And, and so they had this full tilt wakeboard brand name and they're like, we want to take this brand name, this boot, and you use your existing resources, meaning your existing reps, marketing crew, whoever to bring this boot to market. And our goal is to get up to 20,000 pair. Once we get up to 20,000 pair, we will have learned enough about the boot business to then create our own K2 boot. Interesting. Wow. From day one. Wow. Dude. Interesting. And obviously you didn't set out to start or run a boot brand and then you're shaking hands you're like, oh, by the way, you're going to sell it. You're going to make well, it. Well, for me, I was really anxious to prove I could do something more right. than mine. Yeah, like true. just me, not to them, but just to myself. Right. I was like, I've gone through so much in the last, you know, 10, 15 years as an entrepreneur that I think I could apply this to just about anything and, and do well, but I, I need a brand to try. And so I was like, yeah, sweet. I'll make it happen. I didn't realize I was signing up for like zero budget. I mean, we made <laughs> something out of nothing, but that's what I'm good at. And yeah. Robert's a smart dude. He, he could step back from the business. I mean, he's a total psychomaniac in a lot of ways and people can tell you about him, but like he also could see, have visions for things, how things could work and everyone that others wouldn't. And everyone in that, in that building, all hundreds and hundreds of employees all said, we don't want this boot. We want a K2 boot and we don't want to put the K2 logo on it because it's an old boot and no one, and they might've been right. No retailer wants right. to buy an old boot with this new K2 logo. And even look, pivots were getting that for a while, a few yeah. years back. You know, like this is an old binding. Why should we have it? But I oh, knew- Times have changed. Oh yeah. yeah. And I knew that <laughs> Seth Morrison and so many other pros had been on this boot and still riding it, that I was like, we're gonna take those stories and all we're gonna need is get this damn boot on their feet. Once right. it's on their feet, every freestyle guy is gonna want it. So I went, the first thing I did, I went to Seth Morrison's house in uh, Colorado and his basement had like 15 boxes of these boots. And I just interviewed him about it, my shitty camera. And then I went to the Eric Geese who invented the boot, one of the inventors from NASA, he was in Colorado, got his story. And then Sick. that was like the backstory. Yeah. So that was like the credibility that I needed because some people forgot about that boot. So anyone that didn't know about it needed to learn, oh, that's where it came from. Legit skiers use it. They trust it. And then we started flowing it to freestyle guys and it went off and it was like Wallace. I mean, no one even needed to get paid. They, right. did, they were like, whoa, this thing like enables me to do things I couldn't before. Yeah. You know, once, once you have a product like that, every pro's on it, that's kind of like, we just flowed it to them. Meaning like we gave them free boots and we, there was no high money contracts. But then we like decided to do pro models. And of course we paid athletes and we gave back sponsored videos and whatnot. Yeah. I mean that, that tongue on the Walsh when it came out was like, I mean, it was on the cool, hot dogger. It was the coolest thing. You ever yeah. Saw. yeah so like, that is so whose idea was that? That, that was me, but like, dude, fuck you, was it really dude. so casual? <laughs> yeah, so, oh, dude! But, but I got it. I don't take credit for inventing that those ideas. I always see opportunity in other products and brands and, and yeah. industries. So, like, I what I did with Full Till is I go, this is an old, boring, lame-looking boot. So, like, what are we gonna do to get this thing fresh? And I looked at Anon at the time was wrapping their goggles with all kinds of crazy graphics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, the, and then Nike had all their limited edition Nike shoes. And there was um, a headphone company making the, they were the first, uh, what's their names? They're, Skull Candy? Skull Candy was wrapping graphics on right. their headphones, yep. like gold headphones and all this shit. 
stuff that like didn't make the product perform better, but just looked dope. Look, yeah. Oh, it looks you know, so dope. You, you so, just wanted it. And Anon did a really good job. Now they're not that way, but if you can find the old catalogs, it's insane. I think they even had like a tennis ball like wrap or something around. It. Anyway, I, that's all I did. I go, we're going to do this, but on a boot. And then like that tongue thing was over the top, but I just go, I want to make the boot. I'm coming from rollerblading too. And at one point, rollerblades started making their inline skates like sneaker looks. Right. And I was like, we got to make this look like a sneaker. That, yeah, dude, that the was USDs kind of looked like that. They had a different tongue. Yeah. I, and I got it. So I got it from rollerblading the tongue part. I dude, did. I have in my car outside for some reason, a pair of my rollerblades literally from like <laughs> 2000. Dude, I've been what? skating around. I've been skating around. <laughs> Never know dude, when a PVC is going to pop They're Solomon ST9s. I, I have to show you just so yeah. you believe me, but I, I didn't in the USD skates, you know, there was a dope stuff with the tongue. So I took a sock and shoved socks inside of it. So it changed the angle and just made everything look doper. Sick. Yeah. But it was sick. sick. It looks like a sneaker. So I, I actually wanted to make them really, really like sneakers, but they was only so much, so limited by molds. And we sublimated the first graphic of Seth Morrison. If you remember that one, it was like fully sublimated yeah. all around. I was just, I was just like, let's just go ape shit on this thing. So that, it just stood out from everything else. Yeah. Didn't look as old, I guess. And uh, it was really freaking tough to sell to stores, but right. really easy to sell to consumers. Mm -hmm. Customers, skiers would come in, and they still do today, and go, I want a full tilt boot. And if, obviously, that's a bad idea before you get fitted. Like, your foot <laughs> doesn't fit into every shape of plastic yeah. just because you yeah. like it. Like, you like how it looks doesn't right. mean it fit. Like, it's going to be really painful and comfortable if you have a wide foot in that full tilt boot. Just like it's going to be uncomfortable if you have a narrow foot in a wide boot. You know, like, right. so, so that's the challenge is most stores, except for a few, would say, one, that's an old boot, old technology, don't want it. Two, that's just for freestyle kids in the park. We don't want it. It got it got pigeonholed, and um, over time, some of them adhered to it or, or, or came around. Or three, that thing looks too crazy, you know. Yeah. But the shops that backed it did really well with it, you know. But it's still a niche, you know what I mean? And I think for K two today, the fact they shut it down is a, a sad for the industry because multiple brands doing multiple different unique things is just healthy for yeah. the industry, the business. You know, K2 can only do so much, but when you have two or three brands, you can do more. But financially, they just simply made a spreadsheet decision, in my opinion. I wasn't there. I'm not part of it. But I can 100% understand their decision and where and why they came to it financially. But it's just unfortunate for skiers yeah. and the ski world. Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the boot was so disruptive, as you mentioned, because you're like, let's just go fucking ape shit on this thing. Yeah. And it really, it bothered the actual like old man ski industry people who made boots it really did yeah. it drove people crazy <laughs> i mean at the time george and i we worked for dalbell at the time huh, and so cool. this was this was the time where like you know krypton is essentially the new reikley right i mean that's what everyone like that was the idea behind this boot a brand new design right. and the guys at dalbell you know full tilt would drive them nuts like this boot is old it's shitty it's stupid <laughs> it's so dumb yeah. like why why, why, why are people buying this right. yeah yeah dude and so so we we had this is actually a pretty funny story so clint <laughs> lines at the time the president of Dal, of dalbello um he was talking to us and he's like what, what do you, you know, what do you boys think of this boot you know like tell me about the, the, the full tail and he's like so he's like let me tell you a little story i'm like okay he, he sat George and I down. He's like, I got offered the molds for $30,000 before they offered them to K2. 
and I should have just fucking cut the guy a check and just thrown him in the garbage. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm kicking myself right now that I got to deal with this full till crap. When That's I just, epic. When I could have just bought him for 30 grand and then just melted him down. That's just, epic. Th- it would never have happened. Oh yeah. my God, that's amazing yeah. to know t- that. Pr- yeah. that's, that's, that's a true story. And he's like, then they offered him a K2 and, Mar- and Markovich cut him a check and now I look like an asshole. And they're like, oh my sorry, God. sorry, Clint. If, I don't know if you remember Clint, yeah. Clint but he's pretty yeah. intense, you know, yeah. for an old, for, especially for an old guy. Yeah, and he, George sure. and I are sitting there in his office, like all buttoned up, like, okay. <laughs> we don't like him. We hate full till. <laughs> say it, say they it, look me in the eyes and say you hate full till. But it was, <laughs> but you also, you guys leveraged the shops to make it hard for us too. You were pushing your boot in there and it was making it hard for us to get yeah. ours in because they would be like, I already have the bell. I don't need another yeah. three piece because we positioned it as a three right. piece because that's yeah. what it was called. And the inventor called it a three piece and was very clear on what made it different. But yeah. And that's a good point though. I mean, just like, just like you just said, all these older guys from the manufacturers are hating on it. Mm-hmm. You brought up the fact that I don't think a lot of consumers understand like, Hey, this boot looks so sick, but I can't find it anywhere. It's because at the end of the day, then Jay or whoever has to go to the retailer who in the ski industry is typically the buyers are older generation. And you're showing them this boot like, hey, you can sell this in the yeah. store. And they're looking at it going, no way. That's a this, gimmick. It's a toy. Right. It's not a real ski boot. Mm-hmm. Just like they used to tell me I wasn't making real skis when I had twin tip skis. Right. And yeah. So I'm very used to that. But meanwhile, you have, that, right? you've yeah. got these consumers that want to buy yeah. it, but they're just too rigid. We should have sold school. them direct, honestly. I was just going to say that. Right. It's a perfect direct consumer. It would have yeah. been. It because it's, awesome. like, it's like Nikes. Like, I, I, I see an orange pair, a pink pair of Nikes. I don't care how they fit. Yeah. I, just, I just want them. I know that's not the right thing to say no, about ski boots. Sure. But people will just be like, dude, that new uh, B or whatever or they are, hot dog. Like, I want that new one. They like, didn't like, want to go direct yeah. like that at times. So, yeah, that's where it's at. And people do that. I mean, he's a perfect example. This kid will literally buy... If a shoe is sick enough, he'll buy it one size too big or one size too small. If they have, if they have it available, <laughs> I remember if they don't when, have my uh, size. <laughs> I remember he when the Wallace it. first came out and I saw kids rocking the tongs. I was like, "Oh, that looks so gimmicky. You look like a Wallace fanboy." <laughs> and then I got a pair and I was like, "All right, I got to rock." <laughs> the thing is, I wanted to, to tuck the pants in the top of the tongue so you would see the boot yeah. too. Is like almost part of the whole aura and the marketing yeah. Yeah. Like you'd you'd write you'd represent how like your style of your clothing different but, you, but you, just thinking about this now too because you had mentioned like you know Dalbello kind of selling off of like full tilt and says like oh you can't you can't come in our store because we already have a three-piece or whatever yeah. just thinking now like back to your sales reps like they must have loved the fact that you went to them, you know, with, they're selling Lion skis and now, hey guys, you have this boot to sell. That's a hundred percent true. That was why they were, that's why they had the energy and the drive to sell that boot. Even after being told no one, they had already been told they don't want, they don't want the ski boards. They don't want the twin tips. And they fought through that and survived that and pushed it through. Now they have a boot and they go, shit, we're never going to get a boot brand under our belt. So like, hell yeah, we'll sell a boot. Even if they sell one boot, one more than they would have sold otherwise, right? right? Mm -hmm. And most of the line reps were like, you know, they it wasn't like they had a vocal or some big brand paying their bills, so they'll take any cash they can get. Right. So yeah, they were like, dope, let's let's go. And I don't I mean, I don't remember the exact details, but it was obviously not easy, but they were used to being a niche. They understood being a niche and they were comfortable with that. Where 
a K2 rep would have said, this ain't worth my time. Right. By the yeah. time they brought out the K2 boot, they had all the experience. And they had the time to build the, 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 the network of understanding and belief and just like, you know, they have leverage to bring mm-hmm. in that K2 boot too. Right. Where they, the K2 what, reps wouldn't have been able to do as much with this full tilt. No, they they would have blown they, it they off. They wouldn't have cared. Yeah, yeah they wouldn't they have cared. And, and like kudos to you and Lon full tilt at the time, like the marketing story behind both of them together made the retailer need to want both things. That's so cool. you had like Lion's Keys in somewhere, right? But maybe they're a huge Zabello account. Well, now your your territory rep is like, well, you know, if you're going to get, you're going to buy this, you know, Lion's Key, here's your Lion's Key order, but like, what are we doing for for Phil Till? Like, you, they go hand in hand. They'd always sell them like literally two. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? But, but, yeah. but, but, but you felt nothing. better than nothing. And yeah. as a retailer, you felt obligated to buy them. Yeah. It was really cool. Okay. I didn't know you did feel obligated. Oh, totally. Cool. <laughs> totally. You, I think you were just, I think as a re, the retailer that buys line to begin with was ahead of their time anyway, that they were open to fresh ideas like yeah, that. They were, they were, there were kind of two different types of shops. Ones that want to stick to their guns, do what they've always done, and they're going to become dinosaurs. And then there was the shops that wanted to do the next thing, but they had to put, always know they had to put the brakes on because if they went all in, you know, people, consumers weren't ready anyway, but they needed to be at least on the train mm-hmm. towards the future. Well, you I mean, know? you single-handedly made Nordica ski boots go to three buckle boots one year. They got rid they, of their most popular ski boot, the speed machine, to come out with the fire arrow. Because, <laughs> three because boots. of the A race heritage brand. No? Both those names sound like they're very fast boots. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but speed machine huge, fire Huge failure. But, fire, oh, yeah. arrow. Oh, fire arrow. Yeah. Fire, fire arrow. Yes. Fire arrow. Huge failure. But the, the disruption of really? the three-piece... Of the Reikley, of the huh. full tail boot. Because Clint didn't melt down the Reikleys, <laughs> Nordica got rid of the speed machine. Dude. Nordica melted. That's insane. <laughs> and then they realized, wait, full tail isn't selling shit. Like, I don't need to make these <laughs> yeah. boots. Yeah. I mean, we might have been selling 15,000 pair, you yeah. know, which is like nothing. That's yeah. awesome. Just I mean, an illusion. But that's what everything I've done is that way. It always looks bigger and more just because it's different. You know what I mean? And yeah. so people are like, whoa, what are they doing? But like, we're not doing shit in I mean, even for Jay, we're doing 6,000 skis. It's like, it's great for our small business and it does as well, but like, that's not enough to put a dent in anyone's business. You know what I mean? Now it's 6,000 pairs, um, which is a lot. Congratulations. That's amazing. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Um, Has it been tough getting, has there been any supply chain raw material issues for you? Surprisingly, like during COVID, it wasn't a problem. And somehow this year just became a, bitch on like a couple things that delayed us a lot this year on a couple models it's a whole bunch of factors part of it is the factory expanded at the same time because they were just like at that point where they were you know break it was it's utopia up in canada and muski quebec that's where they're made which is because i can drive eight hours and, and be there i haven't actually gone there honestly in a while but um it's just you know they speak the same language and they they're skiers, snowboarders, and right. they're right here on our content. They can drive, the 18-wheeler can come down with a thousand pairs of skis, and they'll be here in a week. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's why I go there. But they've they've also been growing. They build skis for other brands. Um, obviously, everything's to our specs for our brand. And uh, and they've had just, they've, they've been growing, and it just slowed them down a little bit. They yeah. actually doubled their, their capacity this past year. So. And Francois is there, right? No, so Francois is no longer engineering our skis oh. because he's focused on, he has this business um, with a chain of, it's hard to explain, but basically, like, it started with 
fixing dents from hailstorms in BC. He moved to BC. Okay. Nice. And he's got this whole system. Um, and they've got dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of uh, car shops that have this system that he created that they apply to repairing and forecasting and all this stuff. Hmm. So he's in a different game because he he's at a point in his life he has to make like a real living and engineering a skis for a ski company is like a couple few months a year total. Right. Right. So we've uh, and that's just fine. That's good for him. I'm stoked for him. And we've worked on and off together for decades. And uh, his DNA is still in all of our skis. And Garai has picked up. Oh, uh, that's right. Picked it up from there. So he's doing, Garai's doing all the engineering, which is really incredible. I mean, I, I started sponsoring Garai when he was a little kid, you know, for line, like ski board days, yeah. basically. And he worked his way up with us. And then when I went for to uh, start Jay, you know, like I was saying, everyone's like, dude, you're not, this isn't going to work. You can't sell enough skis online. Like people won't. They want to buy from shops. Like, you're going to fail. And Garai was the only person that I had worked with that called me up. I remember where I was. And he goes, Jay, you've done so much for me. I don't know what, you're, what you need or exactly where you're going, but I just want to help you in any way I possibly can. So sick. It's awesome. I want to ride your skis or help you in any other way. Like, just let me know what I can do. Yeah. And so, like, he... He wasn't like super high level line guy because he had gone to college right. for engineering, you know? So he had taken those four years to focus on school while skiing. And so he skied. He made the first videos for me of skiing. He demonstrated the skis can be performed well. He was like the face of the brand and still is. And, and it evolved over time where he started Daymaker Touring. He started his yeah. own business. And I right. helped him figure that shit out. And he helped me on all kinds of video production and promotion of the product and testing skis. And then when Francois was no longer going to be engineering, he, he raised his hand and I was like, yeah, let's try this. And he freaking made like the first ski he made was like won an award in a magazine. Really? I couldn't believe it. I've never what worked with the first. Yeah, what was it? Um, well, first he did one for, for forefront when I had forefront going the switch we called it, and that did really well. And then this year, he engineered the Escalator um, and the Joyride, two new skis. Sweet. And he's so, like, precise. It's incredible. And he's a skier, but he's got this wicked engineering knowledge and education. And he's got, in his the way his brain works, he's just very, very attention to detail and precision. And he engineered amazing skis for us, like, right out of the gate. I've worked with so many new new engineers, and we've gotten a hood with a crew of five people and made the trip and they all suck. You know what I mean? Like, oh and that's just fine yeah. because it takes trial and error. Like yeah. making a good ski yeah. is purely trial and error, but he, yeah. So he's incredible and he, that's what he's doing. So he does that like, you know, a week, a month uh, about in terms yeah. of time he's involved in like a weekly meeting for an hour. And then he'll like, so one week he'll do eight hours. Another week he might do 20 and then one week he might not do any hours and he'll test with us. So, that's, you know, we, everything we do at this business is it's a, we run it lean, yeah. you know, it's, it's basically five or six full-time people. Um, and we run it, we have a bunch of laptops and that was part of why I created this, this place now, this location, because people were constantly hitting us up. Hey, I'm coming into town. Can I come visit? No, like there's nothing to visit. Right. Half of us are working at home from a kitchen table. Half of us are in a, an office you can't even find. And so once we got this building and, and created a home base, you know, to give our customers a place to go. But it's because we run so lean. Like, we outsource our accounting, our engineering, our manufacturing. We 
fulfillment is in freaking Tennessee. It's a warehouse that if you order by 3 p.m., it goes out the same day. We want to work with the suppliers that can enable us to do things that only big, big companies like Amazon could do. And right. We can ship just as fast. We can engineer just as good. We, our accounting's on point. Like, and, yep. and then what we have in-house is sales and marketing and graphic design. Yep. And um, how did you find the factory that you guys are at in Canada? Oh, you guys are going to open the door? That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, we got yeah, a retail yeah. store. Yeah. Let's yeah. open the door. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Have them come in, come please. In. No biggie. That's my wife, Kareem. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she, she's helping out with, she figured out all the licensing and stuff for oh, right all on. the whole liquor and drinks and food. Oh, awesome. Figured that whole portion out, thank God. Well done. And now passing Great it job. on to other people that we've hired. So now we're not just a team of six people. It's like, we had to hire six people just to sell like no skis. You know what right, I mean? Yeah, right. That's a whole other game that we're figuring, understanding. Yeah. So what were you gonna say? Sorry. So how did you figure out the factory in Canada? How did that work? Um, well, I had an idea that I wanted to start a ski company for a long time working for K2. I know I needed to do it with a completely different set of rules that were based on modern digital marketing, e-commerce, um, putting my face as part of the brand, being very yeah. real and transparent, like all the modern strategies I wanted to apply. I knew I needed to start a new brand, but, and I knew I wanted to do limited editions, which was part of yeah. it because Nike and everyone else was doing limited editions. So I wanted to do all these things that I'd seen in every other industry except skiing. And in order to do that, I needed a factory that could produce very few skis. Mm -hmm. That was the ingredient I was missing. I mm -hmm. could do everything else. So for years I was stewing on it. And if one day, I was talking to Francois and he's like, you know, this guy, JF in Ramuski, I think he could actually make them for you. I think he's got, he's got to the point where they're quality enough before he didn't think they were. So I met out at SIA one year, JF and sat down with Francois and I was like, so how many skis you make it at your place? And he's like, he's like, um, or how much do you make for a brand? Like for the snowboard brands you make for now, he's like 20. I was like, or maybe 30, 20, 30, 40. I was like, what do you mean 20? Like, like 20,000? 20 what? Like, yeah. I don't think you're saying 20,000, but there's hell, there's no way in hell you're saying 20 right. snowboards. Like, no yeah. one's building 20 snowboards. He's like, yeah, I built 20 snowboards. I was like, jeez. Oh, my God, dude. Like, so you're saying, I literally, these are my words. I'm like, so you're telling me you could make me 20 skis. He's like, yeah. I was like, so if I want to, like, 50 skis in one graphic and like 20 of another graphic. That's cool. He's like, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like, I think I could. You're my guy. Yeah. Like we could do this. And I dialed it in with him. And I mean, he was small. He was making like 400 skis and snowboards at the time. Okay. And now he's making like, I don't know, tens of thousands, you know. Wow. Like, yeah. Like he just expanded. Wow. Over, cool. over 10,000. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but he. Uh, so you guys have really grown together. Together. That's and cool. we've both gone through these crazy growing pains. We're like, he's flailing and failing one year and I'm flailing and failing another year. And it's like, we're trying to both grow, but each of us has these challenges to do it. And yeah. like, he just expanded double the size of his factory. And now my skis are late. And like, I just am busy doing this. So now my graphics are going to be late. Right. And it's just like, yeah, it's an adventure. It's a real partnership. And that's what you realize when you work with a factory or anyone else, everyone we work with, it's as good as them being in house. Like, when I say outsource it, it sounds like you don't know. They don't know what's going on. Like, no, they're involved on the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but totally good. They just yeah. happen to be experts. Like, 
for me to build a factory and spend millions of dollars yeah. to build 6,000 skis is suicide, right? Like yeah. I already, I already did that when out of business once when I made <laughs> ski boards, we were making 4,000 ski boards, me and my buddies in the garage and we just fucking went bankrupt. Right. Yeah. So like, that's why we sold the car who came to Burlington in 99. So anyway, yeah, it's just, you gotta, you gotta, you know, use the best people in the business for what they're best at, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why we go with who we do for all the different specialties. Yeah. Now, are you are you basically at capacity at the factory no, that you're at? No, we could grow, but you know, there's, you know, can we grow? We don't know. We we do you want to grow? We do want to grow, but I don't want to be in a pressure position like I was at K two or any other public uh, company where you have to grow or right. else you fail. Right. Like right. you set yourself up where like you have so much inventory left over that you're like all your cash is on a shelf in the form of fiberglass and wood cores. Yeah. Like you have, you know, so you have to really sell what you make and to sell what you make, you know, when you're not selling it before you make it, I am making it before I sell it. Like there's no store ordering product from me in advance saying, I'll take a hundred, I'll take a hundred. Oh, great. We have 3000 orders. Let's build them for the next right. six months. That's not how we're operating. Yep. Instead, I'm building 6,000 skis and using math to try to figure out how many of each of the 30 different SKUs in the nine different models right. that we need to make in the th- 20 different graphics, yeah. seven months in advance, I have to decide that shit. Yeah. And so it's a risk because, you know, it, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to have a thousand people buying this model, that model, that graphic, whatever. There's yeah. no guarantee I'm going to sell any of them, really. Right. And if the economy shit's the bad or there's a war who knows what the hell could happen so i'm trying to play find that balance where we sell enough skis to support everyone that works here we pay them good we give them health care we give them 401k like we operate like a big company here in terms of how we try to take care of our employees or i try to anyway um but we're small so we need to sell enough to, to cover and support our crew but not so much that we put ourselves in a predicament where everything's right. 50% off. Yeah. And it's, it's yep. a shit show. True. You know? And we're going bankrupt because like we didn't sell them all that year. And was, was there a time in the last couple of years where you saw, I mean, obviously the trajectory has been pretty incredible where you thought you might outgrow the factory. Yeah, for sure. And I, I thought that again during last year was the big bump from, from COVID put wind in everyone's sales in the right. ski business and bike business. And this year is the exact opposite. So like, during that, I was like, holy shit, we could get up, you could double this again. I grew 50% last year, you know? Right. And it's like, now we're just trying to hold on to that. And, um, you know, it's just people, the economy changed overnight, you know, like you get a bad ski or things can change. It's a fragile business. Yeah. It's a it's a really, really gnarly business. Yeah, it is. It, is. it really it, is. It's super fragile. So I don't want to bite off too much more than I could chew is how I guess I'm going in. Yeah. So all those guys at K two back in the day when you, when they were telling you that you're fucking crazy, are they? Is your phone ringing? Be like, Jay, what's the what's the secret ingredient? <laughs> no, how do we how do we do this? They love it. <laughs> they they love seeing it. They hit me up, a high five me, you know, like email me, or text me, or call, and just they're like, I love what you're doing. Love yeah. seeing it. You know, not everyone was super negative, but they just couldn't imagine it, and that's no problem. I got no yeah. problem. People don't didn't understand what I was trying to do in this building. I mean, right. I had friends that are just like what the fuck are you doing making a bar? You don't need that. And I honestly didn't see it that way. I, I was seeing an experience for skiers. Right. You know, I didn't see the, uh, that's how I always look at it. It's like, what does skiing need? 
and now create whatever that is. Right. And then realize, oh shit, I've got this like thing now and it's its own entity. And like this this shop and lounge bar and lounge is gonna be an experience. You know, it's yeah. a, it's it's a business, but it's giving people an experience that I wanted to give them and I felt it was important to have whatever is in here. Yeah. Well, I mean, experience one hundred percent, but I, I think to take it to like a next step is that you created something that people can, can connect with because sure. they're already connecting with you, with your skis, right? Yeah. They're already connecting with whatever they're, they're skiing on. They, they're ready to buy the next one. And now they have a place to like, feel like that they belong. Yeah. Cause they've already felt like they belong by skiing on it, yeah. but now they can come here and be like, yeah, this is, uh, this is where I, this is where I should be. Well, this is pretty cool. I didn't want it to be just like the, the part in the front. I'll walk you guys around after, but like the front, the showroom is like, my brand is Ski the East, Jay mm-hmm. and Ski the East. But then once you cross that line in this lounge where it's like all barn board and it feels like a ski lodge, this is every ski and snowboard brand's home. Yeah. This yeah. is every skier and snowboarder's home. We play snowboard movies on these TVs. You know what I mean? And we got snowboards and skis from every brand on the wall because this is more, it's more important the sport than any one brand. You know, no one's bigger than the sport. And I want, as long as you're doing good for the sport, the sport would do good for you and, and for yeah. skiers. Yeah. yeah. And it was really cool before we started recording the fact that you said, you know, you just opened the store this space last weekend, but you know, you had had customers that you'd either emailed or talked to on the phone for maybe years, yeah. but never actually seen face to face. Yeah. And now they're walking in and you can actually see them and, and they're walking into this place getting even more of a feel for who you are, who Jay skis is, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. cool. Right on. I mean, it was pretty wild for me as I remember riding up the chairlift once with you at Red Mountain. And I was thinking, and this is, you know, a few years ago, I was thinking back to when I was 15 years old, skiing park at Highland Hills in Minnesota, wanting to have a line 1260 so bad. (laughs) And now I'm riding up the chairlift with the guy that started this company and he knows my ski company. Those words came out of his mouth. And now I'm sitting here in, you know, your new store in Burlington, Vermont, like, if I would have heard that back then, like, dude, this is it's fake. Life, I'm kind of getting emotional, but yeah, like, yeah. It's, it, <laughs> well, I mean, dude, it's pretty fucking crazy. It's the same for me, man. Like, you know how many people I looked up to to inspire me to do what I'm doing? And people look up to you guys to inspired by what you're doing. Yeah. And you got to keep passing that torch of inspiration yeah. down. I mean, I used to, I, the first time I got on the chairlift with Dan Egan at a Stratton demo. Yeah, we were kid. just talking about I mean, that. he tells a story. I was on ski boards, and I was like, that's Dan Egan. I used to watch him in the movies. When I saw Glenn Plague. I mean, Glenn is still, like, yeah. my idol, and he's the biggest hero in skiing. He's inspired so many skiers yeah. to go skiing, you know, and still does. Like, these are people, Jake Burton, like, I would never have even thought of starting if it wasn't for him believing, oh, shit, like, I went to Stratton every weekend, and I stopped by the Burton factory. That seems normal. You could just start making snowboards. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'll do that with my skis. Like, right. Or, yeah. like, any garage that was making snowboards at the time. Like, oh, my friend in, in you know, function snowboards, middle of nowhere, Buffalo, and I was going to college making snowboards. Like, hey, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. Like, yeah. it was inspiring. And, like, I'm, like I said, half the product I make, I'm inspired by other products, other brands, other people. And, like, every – that. People that say that, oh, you inspire me this. I'm like, dude, you're inspiring someone else right now. You just don't even realize it, you know? Yeah. So keep passing it down. At least you guys have really positive first experiences with Jay. Mine was in 1999 when I emailed him to get some free skis. <laughs> <laughs> and he told me no, and I was a, I was a hucker. <laughs> 
I used to, dude, when I was a kid, man, when I was a kid, <laughs> wait, 99, man, I was like, yeah, yeah I was, was in my 20s. Dude, I, I still didn't say motherhucker. I, <laughs> I, I was, dude, I was so rebel at that time. It was like, awesome looking oh, back. I still I was aggressive. Even. Like, I was like, that movie sucks. Like, that's, that's so old. Because I was so passionate about trying to change skiing for what I thought was the better of the future. Anytime I saw someone not doing it, I had to like, yo, you got to stop doing this. Like, dude, you got to do this and do that. Like, I was just so yeah. intense. And like, yeah. I'm sure you sent a video of just I like. I did, a VHS. Let, like really good skiing that just didn't have the style that I thought was the future. It's like, no, you're not. 100%. Fail. <laughs> but I even checked with him before. I was like, because where to send it? Your rep at the time was like Bruce. Yeah, Bruce Castle. Yeah. I don't know um, how I know that name. Yeah, he crazy. actually still gave me a pair of 1260s that I broke. But, nice. um, but yeah, I emailed him and been like, where do I send a video? And you told me where to send it. And you're like, don't send me anything if you miss a grab or you're hucking. Oh, then, my God. So I sent it to him. It was like, of course, I missed a bunch of grabs. And like, <laughs> in the video, I'm like blowing up. And then he like gets it and emails me back. And he was like, you're a hucker, dude. Like, Sorry. The thing is, the, the team at the time, the kind of dream team for Lion, which I followed, I followed the time like uh, Forum. Like that was like yeah. in Burton. Those were like the teams I was trying to emulate. And all my skier, all the skiers that rode for us for line at the time were basically snowboarding or emulating snowboarding. So it was all about slow rotations, skis parallel, not cross, not mogul style, mm -hmm. you know, s grabs, landing backwards, taking off, like all about style, style, style. Yeah. Right. And so like we were just, when you're hanging out with those people, you're building it. And before you know it, you forget anyone is any different. And you're just so aggressive, like, it has to be this. this and we'd go to the U.S. Open, and there'd be like... It sounds like you don't have style. There, there, <laughs> <laughs> he had mogul style, man. Yeah, yeah, mogul style. Right. Yeah. style's fine. It's just, it wasn't where we were trying to take the sport, right? right? Yeah. Like, we were trying to get respect from snowboarding, <laughs> you know, and skateboarding. So yeah. we had to go to that level. And we went to the U.S. Open, and it was like, it was like our team versus, like, the Solomon team, which was all, like... All those guys, JP and all those, that whole crew were all like cross skis, like mogul spins to yep. win, like just spin to win at any cost, no style. So it was like two, two different directions the sport were fighting to right. go. Yeah. That's how we, we were too fighting soft for that. Me anyway. We felt like it was like we had to make this happen. We had to show the world that's where it was at, yeah. where it was going. Well, you did. You did. Right on. <laughs> you fucking did, man. <laughs> you told Berkowitz he's got no style at the same Facts. time. It's <laughs> Yeah, he does now, man. This dude car. Now we're on the carving team. Yeah, together. yeah. Yep. I got no air style either, but yep. I, we got carving style, For mad sure. carving style. Carving is cool, dude. That's the only it's coming thing, back. That's the only photos and video they get of me at the team shoots is carving. Like Jay, we need a shot of carving on it. Yeah, <laughs> carving. I'm, cool I'm your again. man. And they're all like, "How do you get so low?" I was like, "Many. I'm an old." <laughs> <laughs> and I don't jump as much. Oh. Yep. So, dude, told you that goes fast. Yeah, right on. It's super fast, right? Sure. Um, that was four hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you believe it? Um, like five. Dude, so I, I have to ask you this because we are just talking about this. Where, where should we, where's a dope place to grab, like, an awesome lunch? He's Mr. Foodie. Everywhere, yeah. man. Burlington's got the best food. It's so right. competitive. McDonald's went out of business replaced with an organic food restaurant. Okay? <laughs> That's how good it is here. We'll go. I'll go with you. All right, cool. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you listen to the Sturman's episode. 
when he was talking about I how, will. I forgot to. Oh, I, man. I was busy screwing screwing. Oh, yeah, you were building this place, right? Yeah. He tells a funny story about, about having, like, Vermont IPAs, and, like, Jay's like, yeah, have a couple of beers in these. Before I know it, I'm fucking asleep under, like, a couch. I'm like, And you were gone. You went home to see your son. And he was like, dude, I'm, like, in this... You could, yeah, you just yeah. got to listen to it. Coming from it's, Utah at the time, they didn't yeah. have any yeah. any alcohol content for yep. sure. It's the IPA capital world for sure. Like every corner has a brewery and they keep making more. It's nuts. Dude, it's that awesome coffee man. store this morning had beer. Yeah. yeah. It did. Yeah. Black, yeah. whatever we were, black or something like that. Black cap. Black cap. All right. Jay, awesome. Thanks for doing this. Your new space is incredible. Um, we're freaking stoked on it. It's it, you, you crushed it. I mean, like no stone left unturned for sure. So um, I'm I'm stoked to have a beer right now. To be we honest with we you. will right be back too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our first customers of the day come in at noon and they always crack a cold one and watch a ski movie. So let's get at it That's for perfect. sure. That's right perfect. on. All right. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for coming, Jack. guys. Yeah, and mad respect and congratulations on your shop. Doing things different. It's the only way to go. And congrats for doing it different and succeeding. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, right. man. Peace, everybody.